0: get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up With The Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that?
1: Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardware. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. If you're just tuning into this podcast for the first time, you can find more episodes at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. And today what we're going to do is we're going to discuss some film news, some follow-up from last week... Uh, And then move on into what we've been watching this week, just talk about the films and TV shows we've been enjoying, and conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing Finding Dory, the newest film from Pixar. Uh, And let's start off by talking about the Summer Movie Wager as it stands right now. Uh, And you can get an update of how we're doing at thesummermoviewager.com.
2: But we were so cocky, Dave. <laughs> I, I, was insanely,
1: I was
0: insanely cocky. And all now our, we were fish before we, uh, we caught we them. We
2: pointed and laughed at Peter Serretta. We pointed at all the times we had, laughing <laughs> and laughing. Uh,
1: so for those who don't know what we're talking about, we had the Summer Movie Wager, which is a competition where we are trying to choose the correct order of the top ten films uh, of the summer by domestic box office. And Peter Serrata, editor-in-chief of SlashFilm.com, made a very controversial choice. He chose Finding Dory as the number one film of the summer by domestic box office. Uh, And we all said he was stupid. And uh, we all chose, me, Davindra, Jermaine, and Jeff Kanata, we all chose uh, Captain America Civil War. Because, I mean, come on, that is a safe four-quadrant film with a huge, you know, back and behind it. And I was feeling, i got to admit, even leading up to this weekend, I was feeling pretty confident because we had seen so many sequels just mm-hmm. die on the wayside, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Alice in Wonderland, like all these sequels, just especially die- Pixar
0: sequels too. Yeah, uh,
1: good. Di- well, uh, Cars, Cars, like Cars two. You're, you're thinking of? I mean, those movies did well financially, but yes, you know who? Who knows? You know what what's even happen-
2: crazier? If I had had the opportunity to see Marvel's, you know, the Captain America: Civil War, yeah. and see Finding Dory yes. before mm-hmm. making my choice, you still I would have still done the same would thing. Have done it yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Finding Dory is it feels like a movie that is a little harder to swallow. Like it, it, it has it's more complicated emotionally. You know, it's not one of those feel good films all the way through. It like asks you to kind of feel bad for a little while. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. Uh, but anyway, the results are in. You know, Finding Dory made a boatload this weekend, but even more important than how much it made in the opening weekend, I think it was like $135 million. Like, that doesn't sound like that much, but it made a ton of money on Monday as well, which is a significant factor in determining uh, how much money it's going to make for its entire run. Some people are not ruling out that Finding Dory will make over half a billion dollars domestically, yeah. uh, which is insane.
2: So for those who, fish food.
1: For those who don't know how much Captain America Civil War made, uh, Captain America Civil War made around $400 million uh, domestically uh, thus far, $401 million to date. So if Finding Dory does cross $500 million, that means that Peter Soretta will have jumped into the lead for the summer movie wager. So uh,
2: just to be clear, this is what we're talking about here because – Literally every single other person <laughs> picked um, Civil War <laughs> as number one. This is a nine-point swing. Yes. In in the so he hasn't he he won't win yeah. outright. It's not the full game. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. But it's a massive advantage. Yeah. It, and it, it was a shrewd move because he was literally betting so much on this. Uh, oh. And he was the only one of us who had the balls to do it. Uh, it was, it was a bold,
1: mo- bold move, and I salute him. And I also deeply, deeply resent him for it. So-
2: <laughs> well, it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. It hasn't made five hundred million dollars yet, so you know, we're, you know, he shouldn't count his chickens quite yet. I'm, but-
1: o- I'm hoping Independence Day Resurgence puts a big hole in that box office take for Finding Dory. This is the only time I've ever rooted so hard for Independence <laughs> Day Resurgence.
2: But it's exciting. It's fun this year. To be able to follow it in real time because in previous years, you know, this is the 10th annual, but every other year we sort of just uh, retally at the end of the year and and, and find out a surprise, uh, you know, at the end. And it's cool that we have these tools this year because of our awesome listeners that have Agreed. done this for us. Agreed. To be yeah. able to, you know, keep track in real time and and, and have the the roller coaster ride every week.
1: <laughs> totally. Uh, all right. Well, Jeff Kanata, you uh, were at E3 this week, right? The Electronics Entertainment Expo. Yeah. Uh and how many times have you gone to E3 at this point?
2: You know, it's funny everybody posts their this is my 12th, this is my 20th whatever. I've never gone back. I can't remember the first one I went to. It was it's been many years. I think it was 2000 or 2001. I'm not sure which one was my first, but uh I'd have to really look back. But it's been a lot of them. I've been to many of them. <laughs>
0: Well, you also live in LA, so that makes it easy, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, you covered this for <laughs> DLC. You,
1: that's why uh, you weren't here with us for a Conjuring Two review last week. But uh, yeah, how did you enjoy E3? And uh, what did you think of some of the major announcements? There are some home entertainment-related announcements that happened this mm-hmm. week that we should talk about.
2: Very much so. You know, this was uh, especially from Microsoft's end. They were, you know, touting new hardware, which I think will have ramifications for the home theater. Um, the the Microsoft uh, the Xbox. One S, or as I'm calling it, the Ones. Um, They (laughs) pluralized it, see, guys, because the S on the end. I get it. Um, Mm. And uh, and their upcoming Scorpio will both have, um, you know, 4K capability. Sony's going to have a 4K uh, version of the PlayStation 4, although they weren't talking about it at E3 this year. Really front and center were games, a lot of really exciting games uh, for consoles, for PC, for VR, uh, lots of really, really cool stuff. It was difficult for us. Uh, Christian Spicer and I on on my DLC podcast. It was difficult for us to come up with our um, game of show. We were it was a hotly debated one this year. Last year we were, had, came to a consensus very quickly that Fallout Four was going to be our game of, the, of show, but um, this year we had a lot of really strong contenders. And uh, you know the the new Zelda Nintendo was only showing one game at their show, and they completely transformed their entire large. Uh, their large space that they uh, that they reside in every year at at E3 is this massive amount of floor space that they cover. They converted all of that to covering one game, Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, and they turned that space into this sort of Disneyland-esque uh, fantasy world. It was extraordinary, really, really a neat way to do it. So that game was a big contender. Uh, the new God of War, and, which I give a lot of credit to for being a much more mature interesting grounded narrative based game you know God of War for so long i i've been saying is is about boobies and blood and has been really about this sort of visceral action combat experience with a you know a, a light sheen of story laid on top but it looks like this is going to be a a video game that movie lovers can really enjoy it's going to have a deep rich narrative it's going to be about sort of shepherding this child through a very hostile uh, you know, fantasy landscape, but it's it's kind of about parenting, and instead of getting experience for yourself, you're getting experience for this child and teaching this child how to hunt and how to survive. Really interesting take on that game. So those were, uh, and the game we ended up awarding was was Horizon Zero Dawn, which is also a, a really awesome fantasy landscape. I could imagine a a film or television series in that world. It's a Post-apocalyptic, but post-apocalyptic in, in a way we've never seen. It's, it's post-post-apocalyptic. It's a reclaimed post-apocalypse so that you know, we're en- enough time has passed since the apocalypse that uh, uh, nature has had a resurgence and it's, everything is lush again. But you see just under the surface the remnants of uh, a once vital civilization. But now we're sort of back into this hunter-gatherer type uh, tribal uh, culture. But the creatures that you hunt are all technology they 're all sort of robot dinosaurs it 's really mm.
1: so uh, Microsoft made some interesting announcements, and this is my first time watching e three without being a part of Microsoft in quite a while so it was a very interesting experience. Uh, they announced two consoles, the Xbox One S, and also an upcoming console that they have not revealed yet called Project Scorpio. <laughs> this is somehow is a good to, idea. It was yeah. supposed to come in, in holiday of 2017. Uh, a lot of questions about why they might do that, given that uh, if you're announcing like, a future console, mm-hmm. like, why would you, uh, you know, pre-announce like, another future console that might take the wind out of its sails?
2: Yeah, they literally uh, announced a new update and then made it obsolete 60 minutes <laughs> later.
0: Yeah, very, they, very they were odd. getting ahead of all those rumors because most of that stuff leaked before E3. So I guess that's they kind of had to like say something, right?
2: So the, it's become you know the full mm-hmm. appleification of mm-hmm. consoles, where you know no one says, "Hey, you made your phone obsolete by announcing you know a, a multiple iterations of your phone in one conference." It's a, I think it's the same idea now here with yeah, the consoles, yeah. where there's a family of them, and your basically your budget and your home entertainment system. Dictates which one of the Xbox Ones you'll want.
1: Yeah, so uh, germane to our uh, listeners right now is potentially the uh, Blu-ray capabilities of some mm-hmm. of these Xboxes. 4K right? Blu-ray. Yeah. So yeah, the, the Xbox One S coming out this summer uh, is apparently the cheapest or one mm-hmm. of the cheapest 4K Blu-rays you can buy.
0: Right. I it's mean, right cool. now they all cost four hundred bucks or more. Right. Yeah, so, so this yeah.
1: 4K Blu-ray will cost three hundred dollars. But uh, mm-hmm.
0: it, how easy is it to even get 4K Blu-rays at this point? You right? can like, get the discs, but also, who? I don't think anybody wants them. Is the thing like it's a really smart move for Microsoft and really good for you know people like us who may really want to invest more in physical media. But you know, I've, I've researched and talked about and written a lot about like why 4k blu-ray just like probably won't work out as a platform because it's a new format that people then need to buy like it's a whole a- new disc yeah you got to rebuy movies yeah. they're more expensive they're more than expensive yeah. the blu-ray market is falling 4k streaming is here and there are more titles available and it looks pretty good um so yeah it's it's only the like hardcore archivists the people who are like really into disc. Uh, would be into four K Blu-ray, most likely. Right.
2: Yeah, I think I think is right at that especially that last point that four K streaming is here. So it's here. Yeah. It, it kind of yeah, it, it makes it a little redundant to get a disk mm-hmm. when, you know, it's so easy to stream something in 4K and it looks really, really nice.
0: Not just, everyone's internet can support it, but you know, we're that's all improving too. So I
2: just did
1: a search for four K Blu ray in Amazon uh-huh. and the disks yep. that are showing up are pretty diverse. We got yeah. Deadpool. We got The Revenant. We got X Men Apocalypse. Mad Max: The Martian. Mad Max: yeah. Fury Road in 4K. I would really look Oof. forward to that. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. But then you also have the Amazing Spider-Man 2, <laughs> the new Total Recall with Colin Farrell. Sony is just
2: like cleaning up its
0: its recent catalog <laughs> and like throwing it on these discs. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, but maybe you know maybe if if these consoles uh, both get you know have a trojan horse into the mm-hmm. into the living room of a lot of people maybe we'll see this format have a little more life to it because people maybe, will actually yeah. be able to play it
0: perhaps yep. perhaps it, shall- it could end up being like the ps2 uh, dvd situation because that was one of the cheapest dvd players when that thing launched um but at the same time like yeah we are in a totally different world and streaming is so much easier and yeah. it looks yeah. it's looking better and better you know every year because you need a 4k tv
1: as well to be able mm-hmm. to enjoy right. it yep. so you yeah it's you got to get a lot of equipment, but it, it is an interesting entry into the home entertainment market. That you can get a three hundred dollar Xbox One that's much sleeker than the one they currently have, and be able to play four K Blu-rays. It so. also
2: doesn't have that uh, that annoying power brick thing. They yeah. managed to right, put that right, right. in the box, which I think is not insignificant. Yeah, nice. yeah it, it, looks it
1: looks great, but my my whole thing is, oh man, I got to wait for Project Scorpio. You know,
2: I yeah, think, right, yeah. same. I yeah. I, I'm, I don't know that I'm gonna get the Xbox One S. <laughs> I will One not S- be getting the non-best version. I mean, you know, come on! <laughs> but I then,
0: mean, how are you gonna live with yourself for the next year, guys? Yeah, I don't, yeah. would I just you get know. an Xbox One S like a chump? You know, like, as <laughs> to Let's sell them. it next year? This is not a hard problem to solve, but you know, for people like us. But I think for general consumers, yeah, it is a it's a hard thing to deal with, especially when the One S. You know, w- there's not really much of a reason to upgrade, right? Other than maybe maybe the HDR feature, yeah, and it looks better games. and it's smaller. And I think yeah.
2: honestly that you know this is much more targeted to people that were holding out and hadn't yeah, bought an Xbox sure. One yet, yeah. and yeah. now here's a much. An- Much easier to you know put in your entertainment system. You can mount it both horizontally and vertically. Now Mm. it's much less expensive. It just it feels like it's targeted toward people that were. It looks like they spent
0: more than a week designing it. You know things like (laughs) that. Like oh god.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, that's the report from E3. A lot of interesting announcements there. Uh, Let's do some follow up from our review last week of Conjuring Two couple things worth mentioning the first thing is and again we got inundated with these this correction which i'm i'm quite grateful for again whenever we get a ton of corrections mm. i think that's a mm-hmm. good thing because it shows people still give a crap about the podcast uh but uh on, on last week's episode where we discussed conjuring 2 uh we talked about how there is a cg character coming out of the whirly gig and how it looked really fake it looked cg uh And uh, a lot of people pointed out that, in fact, that character was not played uh, by CG, or was not done by CG. It was an actor named Javier Botet who. Uh, has played a lot of horror film characters that are meant to look really weird and gangly, uh, and he plays the crooked man in, in Conjuring mm-hmm. 2. Uh, I guess I would say that, you know, so point taken that that many elements of him were not CG. I, I would say, like, there was a scene where he kind of came out of the whirly yeah. gig that was done. That transformation is
2: probably... He has a very, very rare seen. disease called uh, <laughs> called uh, Uncanny Valley disease. Oh, uh, <laughs> <yes, laughs> yeah. Where he's yeah. just... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so I would say like there was like some CG use that I, that uh, I would say is probably what bothered me the most. But <laughs> beyond that, I, I think our problem was not necessarily the CG used on the character, but just that it felt like a weird ass character to have mm-hmm. in that film. It was only totally really different. Yeah, the- it was just quite yeah. different than the other sort of scares that were being used in that film. So. Uh, but point taken. Javier Botet is a badass, and,
0: uh, and a I, lot I, of that. I worry about that like, guy's life. I guess, like just walking to get coffee, are people just terrified of whoever this weird <laughs> dude is behind them? Apparently, his uh, action, like he
1: can imitate really uh, jerky motion, too, right, like right. In a way Which that is, makes it seem unnatural. So that's and that up.
0: that like on a physical level, your body just like is reviled. <laughs> By that sort of thing like anything that looks so natural we're talking about uncanny valley they're they're sort of like that is sort of like an uncanny valley it, it is
1: you're saying it's just frightening to people to yeah answer, it is yeah. like
0: oh this is not right this is not the way the world works so yeah <laughs> seeing that guy in real life would be terrifying yeah i'm sure he can control it though but uh i don't know dave i don't know his life story <laughs> uh i'd love to find
1: out but that's javier botet and he has been in other horror films too and he's done a great job in them uh Uh, Also about The Conjuring 2, a lot of people shocked in the SlashFilm.com comments uh, about your reaction, Davindra, to Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, I think... The you know for, for two reasons. Number one, mm-hmm. I think just the idea that you, Davindra, a man of science who writes for one sure, of the most sir. respected gadget blogs in the country, um, might believe in supernatural or paranormal things, I think was was surprising to people. And then separately from that, the idea that Ed and Lorraine Warren. Are yes. not frauds, I think, um, yeah, was surprising, and I think you know, yeah, part
0: is of, just new information to me
1: yeah p- part right. of the latter is just that Conjuring did such an amazing job mm-hmm. of uh either rehabilitating or just creating an amazing stoic admirable image of these two people, mm-hmm.
0: you know what I mean that yeah, the idea of the characters that, in the movie I think are, are much better than the people in real life, like, right. it's just. I, throughout my life, I spent a lot of time reading about like what the Warrens have done and see you know seeing lots of things. I was just really into this stuff. I do understand that, yeah, probably most of what they're doing is not legit, for sure. <laughs> I yeah. get it. Guys. Um,
1: so uh, it, it is interesting to read about them and to read the scientific consensus about them, which is not uh, favorable. Mm-hmm. But then to watch these movies, which not only – Uh, give them the benefit of the doubt but like Mm -hmm. the crux the emotional crux of these films is that they are correct you know like you the film does not function everything they say is correct right the film does not function unless you believe that they are (laughs) telling the truth right Uh, and so it's just interesting to contrast that with reality Mm -hmm. and and uh anyway why like these movies have been so popular and why James Wan chose to make these movies. Uh, It's interesting to contemplate given the Mm -hmm. real-world implications of what they've done. Um, Any thoughts about uh, paranormal activities, Devendra? I mean, is this something... (laughs) I I think, you know, we've talked about this
0: before. Um, It's something that you you entertain the notion of, right? I do. I I entertain it just because I've definitely... I understand what confirmation bias is. I know, like, all the reasons why, like, certain things may not be true. There are definitely things that I've seen in my life that are kind of weird and I can't quite explain. So I just have this little, like, earmark, like, maybe let's go back to this at some point and see if there's ever a scientific explanation for it. But, you know, Russ had mentioned this during the show, too. Like, he has his own opinions and, he you know, he's had experiences, too. I think I come down more in the line of, like, you know... There's definitely a lot of stuff we don't understand. So I am more of a man of science than anything. I understand that everything has to be proven. Um, But I think I'm more interested in like, (laughs) <laughs> not if that like any of these supernatural explanations are real but what if like there is some weird scientific way we can explain why some of these elements started happening right like when right. people started talking about night terrors and kind of how that made you feel and how that also kind of like started explaining the people who s- thought they were being abducted by aliens or something that was really fascinating to me like seeing how a physical response in your own body can project this idea that you know you're being held under your will, and these invaders are in your room. That's kind of my big interest in all right. Of this. Like you're referring to lot. the
1: movie The Nightmare, uh, yes. right? Like uh, that documentary about mm-hmm. people who have sleep paralysis and feel like they're under attack, uh, mm-hmm.
0: which is like a wide, widespread, worldwide
1: phenomenon. So really, uh, if
0: you don't have science in front of you, yeah, well you're gonna come up with ways to explain that, right? So to me, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. seeing how we do that.
2: Jeff, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say that whole. Um, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Idea. Mm-hmm. That, yeah,
0: <laughs> there's that too. I mean, there there's so much stuff that we just don't know, and then we then once we figure it out, that's kind of what I'm waiting for. And I, I hope we can come up with explanations for all sorts of things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, a couple of other updates. <laughs> uh, one big one is about Warcraft, and Jeff, uh, you and I and Angie talked about this a, a couple weeks ago uh, about uh, that movie not doing very well. It's a complete bomb in the United States, uh, but somehow has become the highest grossing film that is based off a video game. And yeah, thanks China. Yeah, I mean, it's basically due to China. Uh, apparently, 90% of Warcraft's box office came from outside the U.S., which is A really high number. Uh, Even, you know, Angie Han writes in this article at SlashFilm.com, even a movie like Pacific Rim, which was kind of saved by a foreign box office, only got 75% of its gross outside the U.S. So, uh, yeah, the foreign box office really saved Warcraft from being a complete disaster. It's interesting
2: Um, to me that that puts them in this interesting position of – making a sequel which clearly is going to happen you know do you kind of try to retool some things and figure out ways to satisfy the western audience or do you just keep doing what you're doing and make this movie (laughs) for that eastern audience it's an interesting problem right
1: yeah i don't know that a sequel is definitely happening but i would say that this first one is not a, a disaster anymore you know, uh, but w- will that lead to a sequel? Who knows? Uh, there's been plenty of movies that have been. S- they've been s- probably movies that have been saved from uh, disaster from foreign countries like China. I- I've Terminator Genesis, another one that did yeah. not do well at all domestically, under hundred million dollars domestically, and still made four hundred forty million dollars worldwide. Uh, Warcraft has made. Thirty-nine million dollars domestically. That is really bad, uh, really but bad. is yeah. you know has just
2: cracked three seventy worldwide. So yeah, Finding hmm. Dory made that in one day. <laughs>
1: uh, what thirty-nine million dollars? Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, and that and that day was Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see what happens with Warcraft. But I, I'm just glad that Duncan Jones doesn't have you know a huge. Black mark on his uh, on his resume from this, you know. I think he'll. I mean, his he'll be soul
0: fun. is probably a little crushed but, yeah.
1: <laughs> from the negative reviews. Yeah. I don't know. Well, uh, from
0: that and like yeah, the entire project and everything, because this took a while too. This yeah, wasn't it took several
1: years of the prime of his life. But yeah. I, uh, I I hope he bounces back from this creatively because uh, yeah, I think a lot yeah. of people are rooting for him, and I'm glad that it kind of did well to that extent. Um, anyway, one other thing I wanted to mention, which is that Anton Yelchin passed away this week. In a car accident with uh, freak accident really yeah. weird circumstances so oh. and uh, yeah twenty seven years old this this kid uh, and was a super uh, talented actor who was like up and coming, and I think all of us liked stuff he was in and thought that he would mm-hmm. become even better in future years and like uh, it 's just so shocking and sad and disappointing, and a lot of people are saying two thousand and sixteen sucks. Uh, because it has claimed so many people that we admire. Uh, I, ju- I guess I just want to shout out to his most recent role that we've seen, Green Room. He mm-hmm. was fantastic in. So good. Uh, and completely plausible uh, as some guy who <laughs> sustained the injuries that he sustained in that film uh, and added a lot of heart, uh, a lot of excitement to pretty much every single role he was in. Uh, any favorite? By,
2: all accounts, uh, by all accounts, a gregarious, fun, yeah. you know, lighthearted yeah. great guy who – Seemed to be liked by everybody that worked with him, too. It's really. really Any
0: favorite uh, Anton Yelchin performances, guys? I mean, I really love what he did with Chekhov in Star Trek. Uh, he was an inspired casting choice, and I, he just had a lot of fun with that role. But that's kind of what he does for every movie, too. I really, I mean, I, we really like the Fright Night remake, uh, and the movie works a lot because of him. Jeff Kanata, any favorite Anton Yelchin performances?
2: I saw someone on Twitter. I, I can't remember who it was. Uh, someone uh, compare his performance in Green Room to um, Rebel Without a Cause, um, in the sense that you know, in a similar way mm-hmm. to James Dean, we saw a young, very young actor who was just sort of showing the potential of what he was going to go on to do, yeah. and his life was cut short far too soon. I, I think Green Room really was that movie of man this guy's really special and he's going to have a bright bright future and unfortunately we never really got a chance Mm -hmm. to see it
1: uh i'm I'm curious to see his role in star trek beyond uh which is going to come out in a few weeks uh looking forward to that and uh hope it will be a good swan song for him uh i'm going to put a movie out there that no no one is probably going to say ever (laughs) terminator salvation guys kyle reese he was in that. He was, I was in that. That, that movie was, was not very good, but he was pretty good in it. I yeah, mean, sure, he sure. Uh, added a lot of gravitas to that role and, mm-hmm. as a young Kyle Reese, and that's how good he was. Is he could elevate even material like that. So uh, Anton Yelchin, rest in peace. You will be missed, and you uh, you were pretty freaking awesome. So uh, huge bummer, but uh, anyway. Mm. Uh, all right, let's move on. This week, in terms of what we've been watching, Devendra Hardwar, what have you been watching this week?
0: Uh, I saw The Lobster, the next film from the, the guy who did, uh, what was the name of that movie? Dogtooth. Dogtooth. That weird Greek film from a couple of years ago, Yorgos Lan- Lanthimos. Yeah. So this is a strange movie. It's a uh, hopefully, I I, I mean, I hope at some point, like we'll be able to do a full review of it. But yeah, it's stars. It's basically a world where you have to be in a relationship. And if you're not, you have to go through this weird sort of institute to pair up. And if you're single, it's basically illegal to be single. If you cannot maintain a relationship while going through this institute, you turn into an animal. That is, is like, the construct of this world. And uh, they use that lens to sort of, like, describe, I don't know, modern-day living and modern-day relationships and long-term relationships and dating and things like that. Uh, It stars Colin Farrell as kind of a sad sack guy who's there. I think his wife leaves him. I, I don't even know how this is all because the movie isn't very clear as to, like, how it's all set up. But Sad's had Colin Farrell, which is actually my favorite Colin Farrell, you know. Like, when he is kind of down and out and kind of pudgy and not super action hero guy, he has so much pathos. And this movie uses him to great effect. In Bruges, another great in uh, Bruges. sad Colin Farrell performance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just love these performances. But, yeah, it basically stars him, like, trying to deal with this, uh, eventually falling in love with somebody, uh, Rachel Weiss and, uh, I, yeah, I won't say too much about it. It is a weird movie. If you thought Dogtooth was weird, this one, I think, goes even further. But I actually think it's better for it. Um, I liked Dogtooth. I wasn't, like, as enraptured with it as everybody else. Um, it, it was That was, like, a weird movie that didn't feel like it had much meaning behind it. There's a lot more going on in this, and I adored it. Great cast, great performances, totally surprising. And I cannot wait to talk about it further with you guys and get into spoilers.
1: All right. That's uh, The Lobster. It's, I think, out in limited release uh, right now in very Mm -hmm. few theaters. It's kind of disappearing from theaters, but it will be out on video on demand and Blu-ray in about four to six weeks. So Mm -hmm. uh, we might discuss it more then.
0: Uh, And Davindra, anything else you've been watching? Uh, I've also been watching OJ Made in America. Have you guys seen
2: this thing yet? Now everybody keeps talking about it. Oh, I really man. Want to. It took me a while to get around to the FX series, yes, and now I've yes. just finished that, and I'm like, oh, really? i got to see more one. O.J.? We're ready. Yeah, it, it, is a, it
1: is an eight-hour-long documentary about uh, O.J. Simpson. a lot of O.J. I like what uh, Sean Burns, film critic in Boston, said uh, recently on Twitter. Uh, if you had told me that my <laughs> two favorite TV shows in 2016 yep. would be about O.J. Simpson, I wouldn't have believed you, but here we are. Yep. Uh, that is It's crazy that we have so much material on oj simpson this year there's a convergence Insane. this year Insane, uh, and yeah. apparently this documentary oj made in america which i think mm-hmm. is airing on espn is a masterpiece it, uh, it is
0: it was airing on abc it is available on espn site and i assume it's probably airing on espn as well and on their but app
1: yeah, as well yeah yeah
0: and on their app it is very very good i blind bought this on itunes just because like yeah I, I don't i don't have a dvr and stuff like that uh it, totally worth it This is such a compelling documentary um, because it really it takes a big step back and it doesn't just like focus on the personal drama. Of the whole O.J. every right. you know, the whole fiasco and everything. Not just the tabloid
1: uh, elements. It focuses right. also on, like, the the context under which O.J. Simpson emerged.
0: The right? context of America, like, yeah. what built him up, the context he was raised in. It goes back and, you know, looks at him and, like, kind of how he got to become a sports star and what he meant and what he represented and things like that. Like, this is this show goes deep. And what is fascinating is that all of it's interesting because all of it you're trying to deconstruct – you know what? What is making this guy tick? Like, how? How did any of this happen? And to me, it's really interesting to see pop culture. We're sort of using pop culture in a way to like, I don't know, reflect on our history and kind of like explore it and expand on it. The documentary is pr- a very like direct way of doing it. Um, the OJ effects show, I think, was like more of a populist way of doing it. But yeah, whereas that show is, like really, really fast paced. Like, just just throwing so many things at the wall. This is a really measured, slow take and looks at, like, the state of America, what O.J. meant. Um, it brings up ideas and things I didn't even realize. Like, there, there's one little anecdote about, like, the first time he met Nicole Simpson. And uh, they went on a first date. And one of her friends just recounts it, like, almost casually, like, recounts the fact that he basically assaulted her. Like, and that, like, that admission and talking about that. Like, I'm sure people who've been following this case closely um, probably know most of this stuff, but a lot of it feels new to me. The way it's uh, put together is really interesting, and yeah, they talk to so many people. They like, they got freaking Mark Furman talking on wow. camera about this, so it is tremendously compelling. So damn good. Um, yeah, it is. It, it is. Was, it's a slow burn, but it's genuinely interesting. Yeah.
2: When I was watching the FX show, and they would any time they would show you know actual newsreel footage, mm-hmm. there was a part of me that wished it was this instead, yeah. you know, I, yeah. as much as I enjoyed the performances of that show and, and appreciated the drama of it, mm-hmm. I, I definitely, a large part of me was like, man, I just kind of wish this was a yeah. documentary. Cause Whatever I, I'm context, more...
0: Yeah. You wanted like that, that show was theater. And I think great theater in terms of it's showing like the, the epic kind of tragedy, I guess, of all of this. Um, this documentary goes deep it is all the context you need it is so damn good it is, th- you know, this is why I don't really have time for many documentaries especially really long ones but yeah this is why I love this format so seriously watch it however you can it's all on the SPN app and their website uh, it is I think 20 bucks on iTunes and Amazon it's totally worth it just see it
1: that's OJ made in America and uh, yeah you can access it in many different ways uh, let's go to Jeff Kanata Jeff what have you been watching this week
2: well, I uh I checked out the new uh, first episode of the new Voltron reboot oh, yeah. on Netflix. Did you watch that too, Devendra?
0: I saw it because uh, the people doing the show come from Legend of Korra, which was fantastic. So and I
2: totally, totally you totally see that DNA in it. Yes, yeah. It, 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 it's I don't think it's as good as uh, you know, Avatar mm-hmm. the Last Airbender or Legend of Korra, but it's close. It's close and it has that same DNA. It's got that wonderful sense of humor, very broad comedy but done You know, done with some some intelligence and and heart. I mean, the first episode has a very prominent fart joke, like, full on fart joke. Uh, You know, so it's not exactly, you know, high art. Yeah, but it it
0: is very much a Saturday morning cartoon, right? Because plot plot things just happen and moves really quickly. It's like, oh, we got to get these kids into these, you know, cat robots so they can form into this big robot fighting thing. Uh, But it's so much fun. It is definitely not like on that level. But I, I have a lot of fun with the show.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's You know, uh, I think Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra work on a very adult level. Like everything mm-hmm. really is grounded and makes sense and has there's threads that are established and paid off and all that stuff. Voltron, not so much. As you said, there's a lot of stuff that just happens. There's a lot of, uh, you know, how exactly does all this work? Why you know, When we're all in a big robot together, what are we doing? It's exactly? almost
0: aware of the fact that this is all ridiculous, but in, yeah. a, in a fun way, yeah.
2: But the, the characters themselves are really fun and silly, and there's lots of great humor to it. Uh, I mean, I actually laughed out loud a few times watching that first episode, yeah, yeah. the action sequences are really well done, the, which is what you want, and, you know, out of a giant mm-hmm. lion robot action traditional <laughs> animation
0: too which is i feel like something we're just not seeing as much these days true and uh like i know people really like that star wars rebels show but one of the things holding me back is the fact that that the cg they use in that show just looks awful i can't like on a as somebody who appreciates animation as like an art form i just i cannot look at that show um it is very nice seeing uh, traditional uh cell animation
2: i agree very much so yeah and it's mm-hmm. done well it's it's it doesn't look cheap. It it has the same quality that you know the last the same
0: animation had. studios. Cora too, like yeah. the best one.
2: Yeah, All you right. definitely can tell. It's 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 good stuff.
0: That's Voltron episode one. It's on Netflix right Voltron, now. Voltron Legendary Defender, Dave. Get there. Get
1: Legendary it, Defender. My bad. I apologize, yes. gentlemen. Uh, and it's on Netflix right now. And before we continue, what we've been watching, we should say we are going to talk about the most recent episode of Game of Thrones, uh, season six, episode nine. Sure. So if you don't want to be spoiled on Game of Thrones, probably skip forward a few minutes. But this was a major television event this week, and so we got to
2: talk about it, guys. Yeah, you get on you, you your own show to talk yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, that's right. But Devendra right. and I decided we have to crash your party a little bit because you can't not talk
1: about <laughs> it. You can't not it. talk about it. No, I, I agree. I was like, hey, if you guys want to talk about this, I totally support this because it was so insane what happened this week on the show that – uh, it's like a television event, pretty much. Yes, you know, that, I agree. That must be acknowledged. I,
2: I would go so far as to say maybe my favorite fantasy battle sequence ever put on film.
1: I think even so. yeah. like Even compared to like uh, uh, Lord of the Rings? Yes. Like that, I think it's,
2: it's the best one so the, far, yeah. I think it's better than Helm's Deep. I think mm-hmm. it's better. I, I was trying to think. Even much larger budget things like, yeah. like those films, I think this outdoes them on all almost every level like the it the is the saving private
0: ryan of that yeah. sort of battle <laughs> and it, it works on that level too i think
2: yeah it absolutely is as emotionally resonant as the stakes are just as high the pure logistics of what you're watching feel mm-hmm. epic and grand in, in scope and scale the fantasy elements are really well done the special effects are incredible the, the photography is awesome uh, it, it directed is by Miguel run.
0: Sapochnik, by the way, who did Hard Home last season. He did a couple yeah. other episodes too, so and he directed Repo Men, which is a weird ass sci-fi movie that we all really liked uh, because <laughs> it's such a weird ass sci-fi movie that somehow turns into like a kung fu movie by the end. I uh, don't but, remember yeah. us really liking that, but you know, I really like that. It, movie. it was it's definitely really an interesting stupid. movie. This is the it new was, Repo Men, not the uh, yeah. not the Criterion we, Repo Men. Out about like just how insane that movie. It was, was pretty nuts. Uh, yeah, uh, that yeah. movie goes all the way. And I just love seeing him work with the Game of Thrones the universe. Like, he, uh, yeah, it's, I, I think the level of technique we're seeing here in terms of, like, how he put some of this stuff together. I love the way the battle starts extra wide, you know, as, as these battles tend to do. And it evokes claustrophobia in such a great way, like, towards yeah. the end. Like, just sheer insanity, the insanity of being on the battlefield like that. The idea that Jon Snow basically is just a really lucky idiot because he does exactly what his sister tells him not to do. Um, yeah, yeah, so good. like it's it's really well put together.
2: The episode starts at 11, right? Yes. We start yes. with the best dragon battle we've ever seen in the show, and somehow that's not even what we end up talking about. Like that, That's they,
0: just your appetizer, yeah. Exactly,
2: they managed to one-up that by the end, but that sequence was thrilling and awesome and mm. something we'd never seen on that scale before in this show, or really in anything. I mean, I can't think of another dragon. Uh, what was that Sean Connery dragon movie? Dragon Heart. Dragon Heart, dragon yeah. Heart, yeah. There, uh, that didn't even do it. Or, so, and not just, Dragons versus Tanks. Rain of movie? fire, man. Yeah. Come on.
1: Entertainment Weekly. So firstly, there's an uh, anatomy of a scene uh, video on, watching, YouTube, yes. on YouTube and HBO Go that you should check out that kind of describes <laughs> how they made this. And Entertainment Weekly also has some really phenomenal coverage this season of Game of Thrones. They interviewed Miguel Sapochnik. Uh, And here's my favorite part from that interview. The question is, my understanding is that adding horses makes everything harder. What was the toughest part of that? Answer from Miguel Sapochnik. The time factor. Everything takes about 50% longer. Also, they need relatively solid ground to run on, and when it rains, the field would turn into a bog, and we'd have to lay down tons of gravel to shore up their footing. Horses also get bored and spooked, and some perform better than others. They also need an entirely separate field to rest in. Oh, and they shit and piss all the time. In fact, (laughs) one of the hardest scenes to shoot was the parlay between the different factions prior to the actual battle. Getting a bunch of horses to just stand there all day and do nothing is much harder than getting them to run around. Around. they would fart and pee a lot often in the middle of star Kit Harrington's lines wow. end quote uh, hearing the logistics of how they fed 600 people you know and uh, with hundreds of extras and uh, dozens of horses and just for 25 days they just did
2: is Mark Ronson with his incredible
1: new album Late Night Feelings featuring the hit singles Late Night Feelings and Nothing Breaks Like a Heart
2: Mark Ronson Late Night Feelings Out Friday
1: this was just their whole life was doing this isn't that a that?
2: show that it, they just know how to spend their money right yeah mm-hmm. you know general, what i mean yes. and I, I keep comparing i've been having a lot of discussions about the warcraft movie lately and i keep comparing it to to um game of thrones because there's no point in that series where i don't feel like those are real people in a real place mm-hmm. wearing real clothes you know like it doesn't feel like cosplay mm-hmm. and I would guess that the Warcraft movie costs an order of magnitude more and yet doesn't ever feel as authentic and grounded and real. And, and that's not just because of the CG because there's plenty of CG in Game of Thrones as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the way it's shot. It's the way it's cast. It's the way that the lens through which we look at that fantasy universe yeah. and I, they've, they've nailed it. It makes it, it, makes it feel like an a actual thing.
0: They know the aesthetic they're going for. Like, one of my favorite shots from the entire series is in this episode. And that is, like, Jon Snow just, like, stepping up, unsheathing his sword, and, like, facing oh, his so of, like cool. horsemen. So good. So good. So and good. you would think that's CG. And apparently, no, that that's, you know, that's a real shot. And, yeah. like, hopefully those horses don't trample him by the time they get there. But so
2: damn good. What about um, the shot yeah. of the Onion Knight standing on that pyre with yep. the, like, the 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 uh, sunset the doll. Behind. oh <laughs> man the the sunset that's po- it, i want a poster of that
1: yeah it's everything. pretty good you're talking about
0: davos right davos yeah, yeah. after he yeah. finds the doll yeah so so much good stuff i also like we're so we're basically in spoilers at this point yeah well, i said yeah, we would sure. spoil everything through we're season spoiling. 6 episode 9 i am very glad we're done with ramsay snow uh, or mm-hmm. sorry ramsay bolton uh just because i as great as the show is as like i don't know interesting And nuance as it can be, he is probably the worst aspect of Game of Thrones. Like, he represented, like, all the, like, the violence and the cruelty. But there was never any nuance to him. He was never anything more than just, like, you know, a cackling villain. And uh, the actor is very good. I really enjoy him. He was in Misfits. Uh, He's a good guy in Misfits, although kind of a crazy person there, too. Uh, I love him. Uh, I just wish, like, Ramsay uh, Ramsay Bolton just, like, became such an overwrought and really, I don't know, just really comical villain this season. So, yeah, glad glad we're at least past that. I just wish they had done more with him.
2: I, I also, uh, my biggest gripe, I think, is that Rickon was completely <laughs> wasted. Did and he by have the a way, line? Did he have a you run away, line? This you run away from an archer in zigzags, man. You, you hide behind just, the pyres. Uh, you do anyway. something. But something's <laughs> but your life. Even, even taking that away, like, Here's a major character, a Stark child, who had yep. no purpose in this entire series <laughs> other than to die to motivate Jon Snow. Like, I gotta feel that in the books there'll be more with Rickon. I hope the TV show is doing because yeah. he 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 really was. There was literally no part of of that saga that he has any part of. That's it's such a strange lack of yeah anything for him he's just
0: a plot pawn basically uh but yeah in, in terms of like other things that annoy me it's it's I, I guess i hate like when something is this good and you sort of see the plot machinations yes. kind of show up like yes. sansa tell tell your brother that you have an army come <laughs> just tell him you, you you're sitting there you're yelling at him about you know not listening to you which is totally valid but at the same time you know that's when you tell him and then yes he's dumb enough know to do exactly. I <laughs> mean, she, yeah, like she, she probably didn't really say, "Hey, I, I, I sent this thing." Who knows? What chance? There's what's a chance. There's you know, a chance. Me-
2: maybe, maybe delay a day. Maybe. <laughs> they hold on. You don't want to get somebody's hopes up for it. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: life. laughs> That's hilarious, Jeff. Um, but yes, I agree with you, Devendra. There are some interesting plot machinations that uh, yeah. were not fully explained or not explained well. And if you want to hear me <laughs> talk about that for like 80 minutes about why a lot of things didn't make sense about this episode, uh, check out my other podcast, Cast of Kings, at com. But in the meantime, guys, uh, we can all geek out about how freaking awesome this episode was. So just freaking uh, awesome. Fantastic, it, was, it was amazing. Uh, and just like I, I felt as I was watching it that I was watching television history be made mm-hmm. about – like, no battle has ever been attempted at this scope, uh, you know, this expensive, with this much skill. It just was amazing. So, the other thing I like- learned
2: is if mm-hmm. you're going into battle, always bring a giant. Always. <laughs> giants help!
0: Giants help! Except yeah, and
1: and like, J- J- Jeff, I felt more for the death of one one than I did yes. for Rickon, which I yes. I don't oh, know. Oh, I that, know. Yeah, I don't know that that was uh, uh intentional. Yeah,
0: that, no one helped him. Help him! <laughs> <laughs> they they all think he can take care of himself, but you know, he can't. He can't. But just the progression of that battle, the way that you, you end up seeing how everything takes formation. Just, just tremendous, yeah. I and uh, so and I'm apparently the the
1: uh, yeah. John almost dying and suffocating
0: was improvised by the director. Oh, really?
1: Yeah, that was not like written in the script. He just was on set, and mm-hmm. they had to just come up with something on the fly. And he's like, like yeah, okay. those
0: mountains of bodies, yeah. like, yeah, do something interesting with that. Jeez. Yeah,
1: pretty good stuff. So that's oh. season six, episode nine of Game of Thrones: Battle of the Bastards. And uh, yeah, if you are not caught up with Game of Thrones, definitely catch up to, just to get to that episode because <laughs> it is amazing. So. And I think that's all in terms of what we've been watching this week. Uh, Let's move on. Before we get to our review tonight of Finding Dory, let's thank all the people that donated to this podcast. Thanks to Sophie from Oslo, Norway. Steve C. from Southfield, uh, Michigan. Colin S. from San Jose, California. That's Colin with a K. Tobias M. from Berlin, Germany. And thanks to Naushad Hussein uh, for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. Thanks so much, guys. If you want to support the Slash Filmcast and uh, help us defray the costs, of seeing movies and putting on the show, you can go to SlashFilm.com, click on the SlashFilmcast tab, and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. And uh, that money's going to come in handy this week because they are not screening Independence Day Resurgence for critics. (laughs) Uh, No critics Uh, are getting, or no critics that we know. You know, there's a few critics like Hollywood Reporter and Variety got to see it early. But usually they screen movies for critics for free so we can, you know, get ready and do the review in time for the movie to come out. Not happening this week. very curious.
0: Think of your podcast hosts as they pay for this movie.
1: <laughs> Very curious because they've screened like yeah. everything else this summer. Yeah, Al, you know Alice Through the Looking Glass, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They screen everything. How so, bad is
0: this movie? <laughs> just, just how bad
1: is? And that's it? A, that's what's so baffling is I've heard it's not even that bad. I've heard it's just okay. You know, uh, but we will be reviewing that movie next week. So look forward to that and uh, appreciate your donations in support of that review. Let's get to our review right now of Finding Dory. Did you hear that? What was that?
2: You're what? Stan, I just, I heard someone say hello. Yeah, there's a lot of fish here. Anybody, literally anybody could have just said hello. hello? There. Where am I looking? There. Oh. Hi, I'm Dory. Yeah, well, where are your parents? Hi, I've lost my family. Where did you see them last? I forgot. I was looking for something and I, okay, totally get it. Date night. I suffer from short-term memory loss. It runs in my family. At least I think it does. Where are they? Dory, there you Guys. are! Look out! Ah! Oh, look at this. Our friend got taken into whatever this place is. It's a fish
1: hospital.
2: I feel fantastic! Listen,
0: <gasps> Dude.
2: Name's Hank.
1: Uh, that was from the trailer of Finding Dory, the newest film from Pixar. It was directed by Andrew Stanton and Angus McLean. Here's the plot summary from IMDb. The Friendly But Forgetful Blue Tang Fish... Reunites with her loved ones, and everyone learns a few things about the real meaning of family along the way. Uh, so, Finding Dory is a sequel to one of uh, Pixar's most successful films ever in terms of critical reception as well as box office. Uh, Finding Nemo earned almost a billion dollars worldwide. It cemented Andrew Stanton as a filmmaker to watch. Uh, and this is uh, this movie now comes in an era when Pixar seems to be cranking out a ton of sequels uh, of varying quality, and uh, you know you know I think the last movie we saw from Pixar was what The Good Dinosaur, right? Mm-hmm. I think, and that was a movie that we weren't too sure of. It was one of their yeah. less successful films, and so it, I feel like it used to be a situation where every single Pixar movie. You'd be like man this this movie represents quality it's going to be amazing it's going to make you cry it's going to be I mean, that,
0: that movie came right after inside out yes. in the same year right and that's and that, I, that is that example of like the the premiere Pixar
2: yes I agree I think I think inside out is in my top two or three animated movies of all time mm-hmm. definitely. I definitely was a masterpiece
1: definitely flagship Pixar but uh, the record has been not as flawless it's still incredibly good I mean they still turn out amazing films. But I feel like there's been a few films here and there that have not been as great. The question is whether Finding Dory would turn out to be one of those masterpieces like Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3 or if it would be a film that it's less easy to get enthusiastic about uh, like The Good Dinosaur. So Jeff Kanata, I mean, were you a fan of Finding Nemo? And if so, did you find this a worthy follow-up?
2: You know, I I feel like I, I... Do a little bit of a disservice to our audience, uh, as you mentioned earlier in the episode. Last week was e three for me. It was a very, very busy week. I fully intended to go back and rewatch Finding Nemo before seeing Finding Dory. I really wanted to have that experience, but I never got the chance and <clears throat> excuse me, I feel really bad about that because. I barely remember finding nemo it 's not one of those movies that i 've watched a million times, like other animated movies and I'm sure there's a lot of people in our audience who have watched that movie a million times so there you know and there's a lot of finding Dory that kind of fills out the backstory i mean the movie starts i think right in at the end of of finding nemo it, it is in a lot of way well it kind it of actually starts, starts before, before that. yeah but before yeah. that it kind of retcons. uh Yeah but then it like you know it catches up to that. end a year later a year yeah. after I think yeah, yeah. um so uh, there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that happens in finding dory where I was like is that new information or is that explaining why that happened in finding nemo and I I honestly couldn't remember and I feel really bad about that um so <laughs> I'm not going to be the one of the three of us that uh, is able to compare those two movies because I remember loving Finding Nemo, but it, it wasn't one of those that I liked so much that I came back to over and over, mm-hmm. and, um, and I barely remember it, to be quite honest with you, and I feel bad about that. Anyway, I've said that enough. Um, I think Finding Dory is, uh, is very good. I, I, don't, I, I didn't come away from it think, thinking it was great, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's very good. Um, and that's you know when you're in the realm of Pixar that it's almost you, you damn it with faint praise because they' as we've said their bar is so high their median quality level is is off the charts and I think this is on the high end of their quality level this is this is a very good experience but I, I think it, it suffers from what a lot of their movies suffer from and that is trying to be a servant of, of a bunch of masters at the same time and not really coming together into a, a hole that felt particularly a home run to me. I think the movie at its best is when it's talking about um, raising a child with special needs. You know, having a big budget mainstream animated film that's really about a special needs child – and the challenges of being a parent to a special needs child, I found to be very powerful, very moving. Um, and those moments when the movie it really embraces that and is about that and is about how you encourage uh, uh, someone with with special needs to uh, you know find autonomy and 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 actualize in, in a in a world that is difficult for them, uh, I found that to be really moving and really really interesting and, and nuanced and, and well well portrayed. Uh, and, it, and it gave me insight into what that must be like, right? But also the movie wants to be this rip-roaring kind of silly fun ride as animated movies are. And I think when it's doing that, it's less effective for me. There's a whole bunch of characters that kind of move in and move out and are introduced willy-nilly and, and very conveniently and things... Uh, problems arise and the solutions just sort of drop out of the air instead of feeling earned. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I never felt, you know, there's, like I said, I don't remember Finding Nemo well, but a lot of the plot of Finding Dory is expressed through flashbacks. She's remembering things in, in ways. And I felt like a lot of those remembrances were really convenient. Uh, and, and it didn't ever feel like, the predicaments we find ourselves in had clever solutions. They just had convenient solutions that weren't exactly Deus Ex Machina, but were were just sort of like, well, this is the next thing that needs to happen. So here's a an easy way for it to be accomplished. Here's a character that we can introduce that's fun and silly and entertaining, but also is magically the right key to our whole, you know. Um, and and I found that to be less satisfying and less enjoyable than, say. Inside Out, which feels like all the problems are, all the solutions to the problems are established in really interesting ways and are paid off surprisingly and you don't see it coming and oh my god, you know, Bitbop or whatever his name was, you know, that moment is so powerful and it just like, it all made sense that it all worked. This just felt a little convenient. But again, a good movie, a very good movie even, uh, certainly one that will be satisfying to a lot of audiences, but... Um, I honestly thought that the short at the beginning of this one was better than the movie itself. So good,
1: so yeah. good. Yeah, the yeah. short was pretty good. It was a lot better than Lava. I'll, I'll say that much.
2: <laughs> I uh, liked Lava, but yeah. but I thought this this short was just beautiful. That
1: is some amazing sand animation going so on there. Their
0: environmental technology has yeah. just gotten so so far, like so so deep that they have to actually make the characters look more, like not real, like purposefully not real, right? Because they could, they could create photorealistic animals at this point. Uh, Hardwar, mm-hmm. Hardware. Your thoughts on Finding Dory? Uh, I'm actually pretty much right along with you there, Jeff. Like, I, I, I honestly didn't even think to rewatch Finding Nemo ahead of this because that was a movie I liked. Just fine. Um, I feel like I remember the basic points, but uh, it isn't one of those Pixar movies I feel the urge to revisit um, for whatever reason. Like it's just not a movie that really connected me with whatever level. Maybe, maybe if we were parents, guys, Uh, maybe Jeff, like after after your child is born, you'll you'll (laughs) love these movies more, as some of our critics like to say. Um, (laughs) But yeah, this you know, so yeah, I I like Finding Nemo. Just fine. I wasn't too excited for this one, and yeah, I found this to be pretty solid. This is definitely among the better Pixar movies i love the idea that yeah you have the main plot of dory trying to find her family and everything but it is about more than one thing and that is the best part of some of these pixar movies like that is the thing that um the last dinosaur the good dinosaur um that's what that movie lacked it just didn't quite know how to convey something more than like the very basics of its plot and yeah i like the idea that this is a movie that can tell that tells people like not only with special needs but if you have like any sort of flaw right a physical flaw like everybody nobody's perfect everybody kind of has something um that they have to deal with to ha- live a fulfilling life and i like how the movie just tra- portrays like several characters trying to deal with that uh we have you know one character who's just very afraid i think of being uh around the public or being in open spaces that's the great new character in this movie uh hank the octopus played by ed o'neill so much fun um uh, but yeah oh, can we i have say characters. one thing real quick
2: about that yeah Am I the only one? I I liked Ed O'Neill, and uh-huh. I think he did a great job. But I thought his voice was hard to distinguish between yes. he and... and um,
0: J.K. Simmons?
2: No, no. <laughs>
0: no. Um, uh, he sounded exactly like him. Um, Albert Brooks? Them? Yeah, Albert Brooks. Really?
1: Yeah.
2: I really uh-huh. thought they were much too similar to be in the same movie together.
1: Stop me if you've heard this one, guys. But uh, have you guys recently seen a movie where a blue tang fish who's forgetful uh, teams up with the neurotic... Other sea creature to find family members who are missing? Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's very similar to the plot of it, fight I, mean, yeah. but, I
0: mean
2: yeah and they sound just, like the, their anxiety
1: yes. sound is
2: the a same little, a yeah. little
0: different like uh I guess what Ed O'Neill was doing is like much angrier like there there is a much there's a big anger to his character and I kind of love the way they use him in certain pieces or, or in certain like situations uh he he also leads to like I think some of the bigger problems of the movie like the whole some of the last act stuff gets super wacky yeah and that's, that's... just just as much as this is a yeah kids movie like. Uh, it's sort of like the up uh, situation where the very end of that movie also felt like it goes a little too far into Silly Dim. But, yeah, overall, I really like this movie. I like the messages it's trying to say. Also, the ideas of that, yeah, you know, you know the idea of having family beyond just, you know, your immediate family, too. That's sort of touched upon. Um yeah, and it's interesting too. Like it's it almost feels like very different than maybe the ideas we've heard championed from some of the Brad Bird movies, you know, which have been more and more about exceptionalism and like you know being the best at what you're best at. I, I, I like the idea of sort of embracing your flaws and trying to like live with it because everybody has to deal with something. Uh, I enjoyed the movie
1: Finding Dory. Uh, I thought it was middling. Pixar. You sound tired by this movie. Yeah, I, I do. I think just because. <laughs> firstly this is a movie that's obviously doing really well you know mm-hmm. a lot of people love it and i, I you know on a, on a basic level,
0: staying power for me on a like, yeah on a basic yeah. level
1: like this is not a you know i could see myself watching finding nemo dozens of times in the future right, if right. i if i ever have kids i could see myself like revisiting that movie over and over again and this is not a movie i feel any desire to go back to uh, right just because as i've mentioned it revisits many of the same territory that Finding Nemo already did and uh, in some ways did better. You know, Finding Nemo was about uh, this overprotective father who had a son who was uh, differently abled and then had to kind of learn to let go and let Nemo be his own creature. This movie has many of the same ideas and also has that kind of like neurotic guy teaming up with Dory to, to find someone. I, you know, Amy Nicholson, I thought had a, a brilliant review of this film which is that it's very dark and it makes more sense <laughs> the movie makes more sense if you assume that dory dies in the first act and that everything else is just like the afterlife uh, my, because-
2: my my uh my version of this think piece <laughs> thing is uh i think it's a it's a movie about a time traveler how, how so think- Dory is a time traveler and she's trying to piece together this experience she's already had. uh, And she's like, she's time is, is reconstituting itself and she's messing with time uh, because that's constantly what's happening in this movie is that she's like bouncing back and forth between what has happened and what hasn't happened. And anyway, I think there's a (laughs) think piece to be written there.
1: I think, yeah, I I agree. There's a, there's a pretty interesting element there, but the idea I think that, that Amy Nicholson was trying to convey in her review at MTV news was that, uh, the movie is really freaking dark, you know, after the first act. And I think you were talking about earlier about how it's kind of sad, it makes you feel bad, but it's just dark. Like, the marine sanctuary is portrayed not, uh, you know, it's portrayed as, a, as an act of good from humanity, but also as a prison. And uh, there is a scene with a, like, aquatic petting zoo that is absolutely terrifying. You know, if I was a child watching <laughs> yeah. that, I would be like, is that. Is that me doing the thing that is on the screen? You know, that's- right? And
2: also, like, ruining that experience for for a whole generation of children. You know, like, <laughs> they'll
0: never look at a, aquatic
1: paintings in the same way that. again. Like I,
0: yeah. They, they I don't even think they have the ability to look at that and process like what this could mean for my own actions. So I on, don't I don't know <laughs> about that.
1: I mean, kids are a lot smarter than you might give them credit no, for. No, it's, your- more, it's more about that that emotional capacity,
0: I guess. But I mean, compare like we've seen really dark shit in Pixar movies, like the just the opening of Up and kind of what that you know the the that montage and that opening represents. I I didn't feel that as much in this movie. It definitely goes deep. It just didn't feel super dark to me. I think I agree with you, you guys basically about this film, and sp- specifically
1: what Jeff said about the movie is at its best when it's conveying this idea of how to be a parent when your child is differently abled or has like a specific struggle that other people don't have.
0: Really, any like any like I, I don't know paranoia you put upon your children too, which is like the uh, Nemo's father learning that whole thing again
1: right, uh and i I agree with you, Jeff, like I did find that stuff really great. I mm-hmm. was technically impressed with a lot of the movie, like it looks amazing, uh, yeah. all and the even, water like,
2: stuff, yeah i 'm sorry, you were about to say this well, i didn't mean to interrupt yeah,
1: you. well, just all the stuff that takes place in and near water looks spectacular, like the reflections, the skins mm-hmm. of these creatures uh, it, it looks fantastic it 's very immersive. Uh, and different but,
2: water looks different. I thought that yeah. was so cool too. Yeah, there's different waters. You know, yeah. like when we're in the marine aquatic water, it's a different water than the sea water, which is different than uh, fishbowl water. You know, yeah. I thought that was so impressive.
1: Yeah, it w- it was very good, but uh, I I found its shortcomings were a revisited much the same territory, and B uh, I was not as engaged by the kind of adventuresome elements as I was in Finding Nemo. Like the mm-hmm. the sequence with the jellyfish in Finding Nemo, I still remember. How tense I was in that scene, and I—I I don't think I felt that tense in this movie. Part of it is because of how goofy this movie yeah, is. Like, yeah. it's just kind of a silly movie, super cartoonish. Yeah, yeah, very cartoonish, and like the ending, I feel like makes me question. It made me question like whether. I should be watching these movies and enjoying them as an adult. To be honest, like, like maybe <laughs> how me retro- many people died on that highway? Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe retroactively that. wonder like, like were Pixar movies always this silly, and I just <laughs> was too young to realize it, or some of them is are. this some one just really silly? And, uh, and so you know, for those reasons, this doesn't enter into like, the stratospheric level of Pixar perfection for me. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot to like here. I enjoyed the film. It just wasn't one of my favorite Pixar movies. So mm-hmm.
0: I, uh, I just wanted more from, uh, from those seals. Uh, voiced by Idris <laughs> Elba and Dominic West. Yes. Who I just want, to, I want more of the Wire Xs. Just like being silly cartoon animals. Just great stuff.
2: There's definitely a spin off you know, cartoon f- for those guys in the making, <laughs> you know. Let's talk about
1: spoilers, guys, because I have a lot of things to discuss with you. Uh, so Me let's too. get the spoilers for Finding Dory starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Do you to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're
2: not going to see this coming.
1: You're not really looking.
2: I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret we You want to be fooled.
1: There's a lot of troubling concepts.
2: <laughs> does echolocation work like that? <laughs> I don't think it does. I think it does.
1: I think it does, Jeff. Sure.
0: I sure. think it does. It, it works like Daredevil's ability to quote-unquote see it does. I mean, does it in, the, not, in the context of a kid's movie like this, like, eh,
2: yeah. It doesn't require water in any way at all.
0: <laughs> sound. Sound bouncing off of things. All right. Okay, yeah, sorry. Whatever. I'll, I'll be quiet now.
2: Here's some troubling... <laughs> Here's some I
0: troubling like bigger problems, but yeah.
1: Here's some troubling ideas in this movie, gentlemen. Firstly, as I've already mentioned, the the petting uh-huh. zoo, like, those kids are terrifying in, the, in that. I, you know? I and can it's see like,
0: your existential crisis there, Dave, because I, I don't know what you did at fish petting zoos. I, feel, I, yeah. I wonder if you're having, like, retroactive guilt right now. For That's sure. All. Certainly. Yes. Like, that,
1: that they were not only – not only didn't want it, but that they were terrified by being touched by humans – uh, that's just, that's traumatizing. And uh, here's another thing that's traumatizing. At one point in the movie, Dory gets tossed into a bucket full of dead fish. Yeah. Yep. and That's uh, weird. And that's there's all dark. these dead fish and then, and uh, the dead fish look horrifying. Like they're very scary, uh, that she's in this bucket of dead fish and they yeah. get thrown out in order to feed this gigantic, uh, whale, I want to say named destiny, Mm-hmm. And you almost think that Destiny is just going to eat them all, uh, including Dory. But then it turns out that Dory is friends with Destiny. Like they're they childhood friends, they're pipe buddies. Uh, but what is not addressed
2: it's, is the idea that Destiny is still eating all of Dory's friends. Well, you know? yeah, and it's the equivalent of a Disney movie having a human being thrown into a place with a bunch of corpses. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's the equivalent. It's like it's Snow White. Had to yeah. hang out with a bunch of <laughs> dead dwarves for a little while,
1: and then and then find out that your childhood friend actually eats people like you. Really? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Which, by the way. Is never addressed again. So I, I do. I do wonder. Like in in this world, right? It, I, they they know they know that other fish have to eat other fish. That's the law of the uh, underwater jungle. It's like the lion. Yeah, well, thing. there's a there's a but sequence, that bucket is terrifying.
2: Yeah. There's a sequence right at the end where a little fish gets eaten by a bigger fish, yes, gets eaten yes. by an even bigger fish, and then they all thankfully get regurgitated somehow. But there is a moment where it's like, oh, they all eat each other.
1: Yeah. It's, 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 So I I will also say that in Pixar films, generally, whenever a non-human creature interacts with a human, it does feel transgressive. Like when you see Toy Story 1 and it's like humans have their own world and toys have their own world and never the twain shall meet. And when they do meet, the results are freaking horrifying, Uh, including at the end of that film when uh, Woody – starts talking with that dude. What's his name? Sid or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and he, he like puts a real scare in him because, wow, that is frightening whenever the imaginary Pixar world interacts with the human world. They're, not, they're never supposed to, to meet. And Toy Story 2 took that a little bit farther when I think the toys were able to alter the flow of traffic underneath some traffic cones and walking across the street and stuff. And I, I, I was a little bothered by that, but I'm like, okay, well... You know, whatever. It's just—it's just one scene. It's not a big deal. Like, okay, so the toys can cause traffic accidents. Fine. This movie <laughs> is on a whole different level. When a an octopus can apparently sentiently drive a truck yeah. through the highway.
0: Still, still needs directions, but yeah.
1: Still needs directions from a fish uh, who can <laughs> communicate clearly, despite being in a in a Nalgene bottle. Well,
0: octopuses are very smart. You see, so. They so are. so I, felt, I felt like it yeah. was uh, one step too
1: far for me in terms of <laughs> being able to take this film Wait, seriously. Even yes,
2: before yes. that, there's a whole sequence in a baby stroller that is disturbing on multiple levels because <laughs> they're, they're going through the human world. And then there's a moment where uh, two women look at the stroller <laughs> and the octopus has pretend, is pretending to be a baby in the stroller. And they're <laughs> horrified by it.
0: Have you ever seen a really ugly baby, though? Like that that is natural response. Like it's, I don't know. know. Some babies, man.
1: So anyway, whatever. We're talking about a company that made a movie with a flying house and yeah, talking dogs and all that stuff. Like also that
2: that bird that uh, (laughs) they imprint on the
0: emotionally disturbed bird. Yes,
2: which for whatever reason speaks bird and doesn't speak animal. But well, I actually, actually wrote
1: an article about this at SlashFilm.com called the One, <laughs> the One Thing That Bothered Me About Finding Dory, which is that there seems to be a hierarchy in the movie between yeah. talking animals and animals that don't talk. <laughs> and uh, the animals that don't talk are stupid, and it's okay to make fun of them. Uh, and guys, guys, this goes
0: back to early Disney, guys. This goes all the way to the beginning,
2: right? All of the money. Yeah. W- what are you talking follow-
0: about? I'm, ta- I'm talking about Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse. You're talking about Pluto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's right. He's right.
1: But um it wasn't okay back then Divindra and it's it not totally okay today. Okay.
0: It's not okay today. That bird got totally Plutoed. <laughs> and
1: yeah. the other
0: the other seal that Ger- can't quite uh tired. Gerald I believe Gerald, is his name, which yeah. is. I, I felt bad for Gerald, but I also loved every time they yelled at him. No,
1: but so. didn't you guys think We're it was part of the problem? Yeah, I mean, didn't you guys think it was kind of troubling that it
0: is weird yeah, that
1: absolutely. that the whole movie is about celebrating differences, right? Mm-hmm. It's about hey, people who are like that is a major plot point. This idea yeah. that uh, oh, Marlon, I wouldn't, I would do things this way, but mm-hmm. uh, that has often led to failure. I should try things another way. Like maybe I should consider different perspectives yeah but for some reason it's okay to make fun of the stupid animals right. and
0: get no, a I laugh can... out of those people to, to those the movie's credit though like that that bird whose name i forget right yeah, now she, Le- becky Le- becky she does end up becky, saving the day she and i think nemo makes a very good point too is like just just freaking just have have a little faith in her or she abandoned us because like yeah you you didn't believe she
2: could do this so. yeah and also uh, if you stay the after
1: the- credits gerald uh, gets the last laugh as well
2: but, uh, I found him, I found him to be to much, much more, more problematic because yeah. he's clearly got some disabilities, right? Gerald is is clearly, you know, he's he's he's
1: coded he to be like the same man. Or, he's or, just a little cross-eyed, or, or at least like in, intellectually challenged at the very least. And they are
2: they are yeah. clearly just bullying. him. Yeah, they're just <laughs> bullying him.
1: It's just bullying. Yeah. yeah, it's it, it. It kind of upset me, you know. I just
2: uh, watching There's it.
1: Nothing. I just yeah. Well, for all the a, Gerald's out there, because in the everyone world. everyone was laughing. That's the thing.
2: Right. Everyone was and laughing. As you're at saying, it is in direct opposition to the central theme of the movie. Yeah, which in a different movie, it, it it's it's less of an issue, right? Yeah, but here's yeah, yeah. Here, our main character is learning that he can't just say that's all you'll ever be, right? And yet, these other two characters are are actively <laughs> discriminating against this. This poor seal. Yeah, yeah, lost in the jungle, guys.
1: Pretty rough. Pretty rough. And the only other thing I'll say about why this movie is a bit problematic is is this: is just that uh, you you know I I find the depiction of Dory's uh, disability to be pretty inconsistent. You know that uh, (laughs) the idea I think is that like just try hard enough and you can you can overcome. This disability that you have, uh, it kind of calls to mind the theme of like a beautiful mind in that way, and I I think it's it's a great message to say, hey, if you are differently abled or if you have uh, a disability, that you can still live an awesome and fulfilling life. I don't know that it's the same thing to say, hey, you you can basically overcome any disability you have if you just try hard enough Dude, but i completely agree with you but that being right. said you know maybe this movie gives hope to people who are differently abled. you know and if so i don't want to say like therefore the message is wrong like it's not yeah. it's not really my place to say whether the message is good or not
0: it's um, hard to say that yeah it it can't I don't think any movie can really apply to everybody, right? Like to everybody who may have some slight issues that they have to work through, but if they like figure out, you know, some tools and better ways to live their lives or something like they can work through it versus somebody who's, you know, kind of has, they can't do much about it. So. Yeah.
2: But the, the, the the fact that you have a character who's, problem is that she doesn't remember things and then uh, the key moments to her accomplishing anything are when she Mm -hmm. does remember yeah it it would be the equivalent of if you had a character whose legs don't work and then at certain (laughs) points in the movie he can walk but she's
0: remembering long-term memories though like her only problem is short-term memories. so i feel Mm. like at least in terms know. of the the basic rules the movie is showing us. Like all those flashbacks. Yeah, they, they're very convenient for sure. But long-term memory, at least based on what we know so far, does work a little differently. So there are like the, the memento people. I guess. Yeah. That, um, that being said, yeah. that being said,
1: there are moments when she remembers things. You know, like yes, sometimes yeah. she forgets what just happened, and then other times yeah. she doesn't forget what just happened. Yeah, so yeah,
0: it's,
2: it's hard. It is, it it is quite hard cons- to write for that.
1: It yeah. is very difficult to write for that, and that's why there's yeah. not that many movies that have that as a major plot point.
2: And I think the movie kind of does lip service to mm-hmm. giving prob- problems to a lot of people. Like Destiny has is nearsighted, I guess. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, but for what? Like there's nothing pays off from that. She just runs into the wall a few times and then
0: she's brave. She, she's,
2: well, she does get to
1: overcome the nearsighted fear at the end of the film. It's really
0: the movie, the entire movie is really about overcoming those fears, whatever is holding you back. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but, I th- I think it's problematic when you know the depiction of uh, Dory's disability is so inconsistent. You know, like sure, if it was agreed. super consistent, then it's like okay, I can see you have a thesis and you're advancing it. But because it just is like when the plot demands it, uh, it's it's more difficult to kind of see the point they're trying to make or or to root for that point uh, from my perspective.
2: The movie has a lot of great qualities. I, yeah. my favorite characters in the movie are Dory's parents.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, uh, they they are. Phenomenal! I just love their positivity, their candy attitude and spirit. I think the movie—it's it, a little weird that we are convinced that they're dead at one point.
0: That <laughs> um, you didn't need to
2: do that. Yeah. Right. Why
0: even step into that territory? But okay. I don't
2: understand why why we needed to go there. Like we, yeah. we could still be looking for them, or you know, where we could get to a point where we don't think we're going to be able to ever find them, but to like right. convince our main character that they're dead is a little odd mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to me. But but I loved I loved their. Approach to her and their positivity and and then we even get that moment uh, behind you know when they're alone or they think that they're not being overheard when they're express, expressing some fears and doubts and that felt all very real and yeah totally genuine to me and I, I don't know I, I loved those characters
1: yeah mm-hmm. and you know there's one moment in every Pixar film that really tugs on the heartstrings right yeah and uh, at least one often there's many moments <laughs> And in this movie, it was the moment when there's the camera kind of cuts to a wide shot, and you see yeah. all the different shells like going yeah. to that location that they're oh, at. So good. Uh, yeah, it, that is an emotional gut punch, and, and nothing I uh, we've said thus far in this review should be considered, you know, negating how effective that moment was. <laughs> right. So uh, anyway, so mixed bag I would say in terms of Finding Dory. A lot of good stuff, but uh, some stuff I, think, I wasn't. I think it is mostly
0: of. good, and then lots of nitpicks. So. Yeah, I
2: would agree with that. I would agree with that. I, it just wasn't a home run in the way that, you know, the best of Pixar are. And especially, you know, everything now to me is compared to Inside Out because I just think that movie is, is truly a masterpiece. It's so good.
1: It's yeah. so good, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for today uh, on the Slash Filmcast. Stay tuned to hear We'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime... Jeff Canada, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week?
2: Well, if you want to hear me talk more about my adventures at E3, we did three episodes about E3 from E3 and <clears throat> all involving all the <laughs> stuff we got hands-on with. That's at the DLC podcast. You can find that at 5by5.tv slash DLC. Uh, I also do the We Have Concerns show. It's a comedy show about science. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. And Tomorrow Daily is a show about tech that I do on CNET at tomorrowdaily.com.
0: How about you, Davindra? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Javindra. I read about techgangadget.com and I was on this week in tech this week, so check that out on Twitter.tv.
2: Yeah, good one. I listened Thanks. to it.
1: Find me at davechen.me. See my film at theprimaryinstinct.com. You can also see The Primary Instinct on Hulu. Next week, we'll be reviewing Independence Day Resurgence, a movie that none of us is looking forward to, <laughs> but that because it's the major release this week, we are planning on seeing. So We're
2: doing it for you guys. We're doing
1: it
0: for you. For America, guys. Indeed, We're doing America. it for America. Thanks for. We tuning will
2: not in. go silently into the night. We will see this movie whether we want to or not. <laughs>
1: this this week will be our non-independence week. Yeah, our anyway. <laughs>
2: independence day. <laughs> All
1: right. Anyway, um, thanks for tuning in. Find more episodes at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. We're out. We're out.